This is an especially busy time of year in New York City. Tourists typically come to the Big Apple in droves during the holiday season. And with all of those out-of-towners comes the opportunity for con artists and hustlers to make some easy money. Hi, I'm George Boraki, and this is Cityscape. Our guests on this edition of Cityscape spent years with con artists to uncover their secrets. Trevor B. Milton is an assistant professor in social sciences at Queensboro Community College. And Terry Williams is a professor of sociology at the New School for Social Research. Trevor and Terry are with me in the studio to talk about their new book, The Con Men, Hustling in New York City. Trevor, good morning. Good morning. Terry, good morning to you. Good morning. So what inspired you guys to explore con artists and hustlers in New York City? Well, for me, it was... um quite a long story, but um, I was actually conned when I first came to New York. Hmm, how so? Well, there was a, uh, a man who stopped me and asked uh, very politely, could I help him? And he had a kind of a West Indian accent, and he asked me, he says, you know, I'm trying to find my way. Could you, uh, could you show me how to get to this particular location? And it was at that point that uh, before I knew it, another person had stopped and uh, showed him a wad of money. And he said, look, if you help me, I will pay you. Find this address. And he took me with him for about a few minutes. And then the, I don't know what happened, but it was like a loss of consciousness. This person shows shows up. I was in the look in in, in uh, behind this building, and the next thing I knew, I was showing him my money. He was showing me money that he had, and there was a bag. The bag had all of our monies. The person disappeared. I looked in the bag, and it was empty, basically empty, because it was just paper. And how much money were you out at that point? Well, at that point, I was out $5. Okay. But because I was a student and I didn't have much of anything. So it was it was that that particular event which really s- s- sort of got me involved in what are con games? How do they work? Who are the people who, who do these cons? And even though it was five, it was only five dollars. I was really rather devastated by the experience. Well, you were brought into a scam. You were ripped off. You became vulnerable. Yeah, but it was more than that because I I really found myself feeling guilty about this because he had showed me he he had shown the money and the money had created what they call larceny in my heart because I actually wanted some of the money that he was showing me and because I I did that um I was basically conned and uh, confused by 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 my own loss in my heart, if you will. When was this? How long ago? Oh wow! This I was uh, uh, about nineteen years old. Um, twenty. My it was my it was my, like my first year uh, uh, of, uh, of undergraduate school. And where are you from? I'm from Mississippi. Okay, so here is this Mississippi kid in big old New York City getting yes. scammed. Yes. Um, so uh, this was the beginning of my interest in 
not only in kind games, but under, trying to understand something about the city and how the city works. So uh, you said what they call larceny in my heart. So the they, Trevor, are con artists, right? They yes. sort of have a way of justifying the con, right? Certainly. Well, and what Terry's not mentioning is that this actually became one of the stories in the book. And Terry, you, you haven't named the con yet. Right. That, well, <laughs> well, well, this is called the hotel con game. The Hotel Con, it was also called uh, uh, the Snatch and Grab. Uh, it's There are several different names for it. The Hotel Con because he asks you to show him show to a hotel. Place hotel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how, how the actual book came to be, um, probably four years ago or maybe three years ago, Terry and I were, were having a conversation. And um, T- Terry's a mentor of mine, and he always advised me to keep several plates spinning when it comes to research. You know, always just kind of dip in, you know, here and there, you know, looking for new research to... Um, to engage in. And, you know, I was kind of asking Terry, I'm like, Terry, what are you working on right now? And he's like, I don't know, Trevor, what are you working on right now? And it was interesting because he had these, this great set of field notes about con artists. And I had this great set of field notes about hustlers in New York City. And it was kind of like, uh, it's kind of like uh, peanut butter and, and chocolate coming together making Reese's, you know? <laughs> it, was, uh, it, was, it was a great combination and a great, ex, you know, turned and morphed into this great explanation of these people who work in the informal economy inside of New York City. So let's so, talk about the difference between con artists and hustlers because you describe the difference in this yep. book. So what are the differences? One of the main themes in the book is that there is a difference. Uh, well, they're the same in that they're both kind of work in the, in the subterranean of the city. Uh, underneath the the formal economy, uh, but con artists are uh, confidence artists are there to deceive, and that that's pretty much if you've been conned, then you've been tricked. It, just like Terry just just demonstrated just now that, uh, and and also one of the major themes in the book, and this is you know Terry brought this to the book, the idea of having larceny in your heart. Mm-hmm. A successful con, honestly, the the victim or the mark usually has to have a little bit of greed in them for it to work. Someone who's not very greedy is probably going to walk past some of these cons, but the con artist usually pulls a person in uh, with their own greed. Uh, so con artists, generally speaking, are people who try to trick others out of money, and there's plenty of that going on in New York City. Hustlers, on the other hand, are... Can be anybody. I, 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 I want to use the word honest, <laughs> but, but the, the, the theme is that they're, they're natural salespersons. Uh, they're entrepreneurs. Uh, they sell anything and everything. And it, it's interesting to see um, how so, uh, much... So is a hustler then someone selling the fake Gucci bag in Chinatown? Is that a hustler? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Um, the the trick... All right, this And this is where you can have the same person who could be a con artist or a hustler. If they're selling those fake Gucci bags and they're saying that they're real, that's that's con artistry. Uh-huh. If, if, whereas your average person, they pretty much know that when, they, when you're buying a handbag off of the street... Um, you are, you know what you're getting, and the, and those would be hustlers. And in fact, on that note, I I had um a short story of my own. I went with somebody who wanted to get a bunch of handbags for for her siblings, and we were somewhere in Midtown, probably in the 30s uh, along Lexington Ave. And the person that I was with was was saying like, okay, I want to get some uh some knockoff handbags. Um, that guy right there. And she pointed at this guy with this hooded sweatshirt on. I have no idea how she knew that this person sold handbags. Somehow she just knew. Uh, we ended up taking a long walk with this person. 
Several blocks away, we went into this luxury apartment hotel. The doorman winked at us on the way in, so he he was in on it. He knew what was going on. Uh, we went up several floors into this building, into this two-bedroom apartment, which, if I were to guess, uh, rent there was probably 8000 a month hmm. or something like that. Who knows what kind of deal this person had. Uh, no furniture, no beds inside this apartment at all, just wall-to-wall bags, you know, floor-to-ceiling, wall-to-wall, and all the bags were like $10. And um, whomever enters that apartment knows what's going on. They know they're not legit bags, mm-hmm. uh, even though apparently they look very real. I don't have the eyes for that. <laughs> but there's a lot of people that do. But whoever goes in there has some larceny in their heart. They're looking for a deal. That's correct. <laughs> we are looking for a deal. That's sort of the you know the uh, one of the themes of what happens when you're in New York. Um, there's this sense that we we all looking for a deal. We're all looking for uh, for a chance to to get something for nothing. And I think um, that makes it possible for con artists to operate and to exist in the city. But this is the way New York works. I mean, we're we uh, uh, Trevor and I have been interested in in the lives that people uh, in New York live. And this is one of those lives, lives that we can't seem to get enough of and can't seem to understand uh, enough about. And so that's that's in part why we're doing what we're doing. Now, you guys followed real-life hustlers and con artists here in New York City. You followed them as they worked the city looking for unsuspecting suspects. How did you go about meeting and securing the trust of these individuals to follow them around. Wow, well, that's a long, very long story. Each, each um, one is different. Well, everyone is different, and I think doing this kind of ethnography, doing this kind of work means that you are, in essence, a trustworthy person. That might sound a little bit facetious, but what it means is that we have been doing this work, and I have been doing this work uh, for, for for 20-some-odd years or more, and... Um, we all have the ability, I think, to connect with other humans in the city. We can't do that if we are not trustworthy. We can't do this kind of research unless there are people who believe that we are, um, uh, we can be trusted. So They know you're not going to run to the cops. They know we're not going to run to the cops. We're not going to, to rat on them. We're not going to inform on them. And, and I think this gives us an opportunity, the opportunity to continue to do this kind of work that we do. And I, I think this, this actually might be one of the differences between sociology, we're both sociologists, and, and journalism, where you know journalism is kind of looks to expose or shed light on and where we look to um, analyze and, and, and get a little deeper on the subject. And it's interesting that throughout New York City, there are these um, sometimes dangerous spaces, dark spaces, where your average person doesn't want, doesn't want to enter. But there's certain types of cred that's allowed in those spaces. Uh, I, in a past life of mine, I was a social worker, I mean, a while back. And it was interesting that I could walk into pretty much any neighborhood, any any dangerous territory, and like as soon as that was known, people were like, "Oh, well, come on in." Compared to if I were a police officer or or some type of informant, and so as an ethnographer and as college professors, as researchers, you know, sometimes all we have to do is just come out and say, like, we're researchers looking into this subject, and people open up, and we both notice, and I think this probably goes for ethnography in general that. Everyone wants to tell their story. 
even the people that have the deepest secrets, they want to tell these stories at some point. And so we're we're professional storytellers in that sense. Yeah, and I think it's more than I think it's more than that. I think it's something that is in our DNA as humans. We not only do we want a story, but we want uh, we want a story to be told to us, and we also want to tell stories. And as a result of that, once you run into to a person who is willing to listen, they will share just about everything to uh, with you once you establish that little that bit of rapport and and I think there you know there's a bit of there's a bit of skill involved in doing it but for the most part it's just the idea that you are a listener or that you want to be a listener and mm-hmm. as a listener people decide that they want to tell tell their stories one of the main stories you tell in this book is the story of a man who goes by the name of alibi Jones. So, mm-hmm. who is Alibi Jones? Well, there's uh, there's also something something that happens in doing this kind of ethnography or this kind of work that has a lot of chance to it. It has a lot of luck to it. We call it ethnographer's luck. But this idea of uh, uh, this fortuitous connection is there too, and that that came in the in in the name of Alibi. Alibi, of course, is a pseudonym. And but he was a he was a uh, a friend of my sister's. I did not know that he was into con oil. I knew he was a hustler of sorts, but I didn't know he was a con man. If you as it as it turned out, and uh, over the years I started to and I was a, I was a, a, gra- a, a, a young graduate student. Over the years I started to record his um, his antics. And um, slowly but surely, the the con artist about the con artistry uh, of his life began to emerge, and that's sort of how I met him. And then, of course, from there, we have a snowball of effect. I met other people that he knew, and that led to his crew, and eventually, it led to the book that that, that we have here. The book is called The Con Men, Hustling in New York City. With me in the studio to talk about it are the authors, Terry Williams and Trevor B. Milton. Terry, in the book, you tell the story of the first time you saw Alibi perform a scam. It took place in a department store. What did he do? This is a funny, funny business. Alibi was taking me to to show me how he did this particular con, which was to take a coat and take it somehow back to the cashier, get the coat, and get money. And so he showed me afterwards that he had the money in his coat, and I was stunned. I didn't know exactly how he did that. Now the question becomes, uh, uh, for you and others, what happened with the con? Where was the con? Right. How did he do it? Something about con artists is that they don't want you to know everything. Kind of like a magician. Exactly. Well, he, 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 <laughs> exactly. did, he didn't want me to know how he did that. And so I never found out. And that's why the book, you don't see how he actually did this. But I think this is part of the con artist business, is that you are not to know everything about how we do it. Yes, it's, it's kind of like the magician. Another con that Alibi describes in the book is a con called the Murphy Game. What's the Murphy Game? That's awesome. <laughs> 
the Murphy game is very it's is actually played out very well in the book, and it it does engage a bit of um, of time for us to do that. I, I wish uh, 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 Trevor and I could do it together because then you could really see how it works. Um, but I can't articulate it here because I, we would miss too many points. Mm-hmm. But there are some elements of the con game, like I mentioned before, about larceny, about the uh, about some some points like the Chicago bankroll, for example. The Chicago bankroll is a fifty dollar bill with about twenty or thirty ones underneath, and when you flash that. The person sees in with when you show that money, they show what they call big eyes. Big eyes mean that they they observe and they see your eyes widen. That's an indication to the person who looks that they can be conned at mm-hmm. that moment. And so this particular element is very, 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 um, I think, it's, it's fascinating about to be able to see how that works. But you show that Chicago bank row, the person's eyes widen, and next thing you know, they are conned. Well, that's part of the the making of, of this particular con. So con artists are very, very good people readers. Absolutely. Absolutely. You say in the book, Trevor, that the con artist reads the newspapers, is aware of the latest news, and will use those events to construct a con. How do they do that? Well, and th- this is um, this, like that part in particular was was written by Terry, but it was great because we've been asked this question before, and how the the con artist plays on the emotions of the time and definitely takes a look at at current events. I mean, so you might have somebody who in two thousand one will say that they were a firefighter who who worked ground zero who'd just been recently let go by the fire department and now they're down and out on their luck. Imagine the amount of money that you can make off that type of scam. Uh, and in fact, in the NYPD chapter, there there was a whole set of officers who did, not, not begging for change on the street, but actually filed for uh, disability benefits because they said that they were uh, ground zero workers. And there's this entire, this it's a scam. I mean, that's, that is a con in and of itself where you had, and, and eventually they were found out because you had a lot of these guys who said, I can't walk, I can't work. Um, my back is, is crippled, uh, my lungs are crippled, I can't do anything athletic. And then the, later you'd see pictures of them, uh, you know, snowboarding or, or, or water skiing or something like that, out fishing, uh, and receiving very, very nice checks off of the disability benefits. So, it, You know, it's very interesting that, that New Yorkers become extraordinarily creative when it comes to either established cons or to set cons up. And um, and there are many, but one of the things that happens, of course, in recent time, is this this element of a distraction. That New Yorkers, because of the new technology, for for example, what Alibi does today in terms of a hotel con could probably not operate today because of the new technology. If you have a cell phone, you simply can look in that cell phone and tell the person, you know, or you look for this address is mm-hmm. over here. Mm-hmm. But you, but but you are extremely distracted, and that we are in a culture of distraction, mm-hmm. if you will. Just walking across sure. campus, we're checking every, emails, every we're checking Facebook All as we walk. All students were down on their phones. Mm-hmm. Just, you know. So so 
So this plays into the into the hands of the, of the con artists to use whatever happens to be new, available, the latest against you, if you will, if you're doing cons. I've been conned because I was walking on the streets, paying attention to my phone. Someone brushed up against me, bottle in a bag, bottle broke. Oh, boy. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. And he said, okay, no, no problem, man. And then I was walking down the street, and he came running after me and said, you know what? My bottle was 50 bucks. That's all I have. Um, you know, give, give me 20, dude. Give me 20. I and see. I gave it's him the exact 20. Same comment and it last week. <laughs> sounded so yeah. funny to me that when I got back to the radio station, I started Googling bottle scam mm. New York City yep. because Found it was just it. so odd. And there were so many hits. So, yeah. so many yeah, yeah. hits. Well, 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 food is another one. <coughs> People also would drop food. I said they dropped the food, but this, in this case, it was the bottle. But yeah. Well, and this is a. What's great about the book is that everybody's been conned in some way. I mean, there's there's the New York City version of it, which involves the cityscape and the sidewalks so much, and then on a more national level, you have um, the internet scams. Um, you know, I'm I'm a prince from Nigeria. I'm a I'm a millionaire, but I don't have a bank account. If I could just deposit a million dollars in your bank account. Would you do me that favor? You know, and that it, it still works to this time. You know, it's funny because yeah. that scam has been that's that's like almost fifteen years old at this point. But it's you, older it's, than that. Yeah, it, I mean it, and it still works. It still works to this day. But then there's you know there's a numerous amounts of cons that um, if you're a new New Yorker, because I almost wanted to ask like how new were you to the city when the bottle scam happened? I am a native New Yorker. You're a native, yeah, New Yorker. born oh, wow. in the Bronx. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Uh, and, sure. and so like m- myself, I, I moved here from Boston. And so coming here, you know, I, was, I had a very naive way of dealing with, with silly city dealers. Anyone who asked for change, I'm like, hey, 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 yeah, man, you're down and out. Here you go. Uh, and then after a while, I started to hear that, you know, and this may be another con in the sense of like, you know, people who might borrow a dog for a day or they'll borrow a baby for a day and then go out and beg for money on the street. And uh, you know your, your average panhandler can make up to $100 a day in New York City. person with a baby might be able to double that. Some hustlers had the knowledge that allowed them to blatantly manipulate the system. And I'm talking about Lorena, who avoided paying rent to several landlords over many, many years. Yeah. Lore- How did she do that? Lorena is probably still doing that right now. <laughs> um, well, she's manipulating... Uh, New York City tenant right laws, which um, if you look at kind of the the difference between New York landlords and New York tenants, tenants usually have uh, more rights and more sympathy and um, and landlords are usually the ones that get the bad press uh, when it comes to New York City, you know, rightfully so for some. There's there's plenty of slumlords in this in this city. But for Lorena, she figured out that um, as long as she could show up with a security deposit and possibly first month's rent. Um, once she moved in, um, all she had to do was start to complain to the city, the Department of Housing, about certain violations and, and violation codes that are, uh, that are going on in the apartment. Um, sink is busted, uh, gas leak, um, heat's been turned off, whatever. And usually they suspend uh, your rent for 12 months um, as the investigation goes on to see it. And so she had a way of scamming landlords by basically just paying one month's rent, living rent-free for 12 months, and then just moving on. Oftentimes, she would end up in housing court. Uh, sometimes sometimes she would win. And what was interesting with Lorena is that the deeper I look back, the further there was this trail of 
destitute landlords who did not want to speak about her. They, they, she had ruined them, you know, financially, and uh, they just had no interest in even thinking about her again. And she'd been doing this. It looks as though she'd been doing this at least 25 years in New York City. She, she had it down. Now, we should also keep in mind that for the vast majority, and there are about 30,000 evictions every year in New York, hmm. uh, for the vast majority, uh, Lorena is really a, a kind of an, uh, an oddball. Mm-hmm. And yeah. she's very tiny compared to the kind of scams that go on with landlords or the problems that landlords have. Uh, so, you know, I know people will probably be reading, uh, be hearing about oh, Lorena is a, it's a major player in all of this, but she really isn't. She's a very small uh, person in this in this business. How does she justify what she does? How so? You mean like, does she feel like in her she's heart, entitled? Yes, is she entitled to free rent? Uh, well, that's the thing. I, I didn't get to speak directly to her. And this is why I'm saying that she mm-hmm. kind of disappeared into okay. the cityscape. And yeah. she's probably continuing this now. I, I spoke with her last um, her last landlord. Uh, and she obviously doesn't feel any... Um, she doesn't feel like it's malicious. Uh, you know, she just feels like this, this is... Hey, I'm just getting over on the system. And, and that's that. What's mentioned in the book is that she violated some rules against um, against HUD, uh, Housing and Urban Development, which is a welfare fraud, because come to find out she had an apartment in the Bronx, uh, which was paid for by oh, HUD, yeah. that she was renting to somebody mm-hmm. else. And now suddenly the federal government's like, oh, we want to get involved now. Uh, whereas she'd been able to skirt this. And of course, you can't, your credit is ruined every time you're evicted. And so what Lorena would do is right up until the last minute before her eviction, she would move out voluntarily. And when you get a notice of eviction, that's one thing. But before the eviction is complete, you move out. It's no longer an eviction. You voluntarily left. And she's on to the next. Yeah. Yeah. Did you get the sense that any of the con artists and swindlers you profiled saw that what they did was a true vocation? It was a job for them. Um, Steady income yeah. <laughs> for many, yeah. Yeah, well, I think people like Alibi, it's um, more the exception than the rule. I think it's it was it's rather, relatively rare for for uh, for the con artist to make enough money to live like this all the time. Yeah, I think it's, I think I think it's a rare. It's it's more rare than anything else. So yeah, I think it's more difficult for, to find a person who does it full time. Uh, and for a lot of that, uh, that's why th- you see so many different v- varieties of doing conning or hustling because you can't stay with one for for, for very long. I'm sorry, Trevor. It's all right. And a lot of the hustlers we spoke with, all of them seem to have like a, a dream day job or a day job that they were working towards or they had just been let go of. Um, Lee, in, in particular, the, the the young man who was selling water at traffic lights, you know, he didn't look at that as a long term career. He he had several other things that he wanted to do with himself, but this would supplement his his lifestyle in that moment. Yeah, um, that actually subsidized his dream of becoming a dance teacher, right? Selling yeah. bottled water on yeah. the street. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. How is that a con though? Selling bottled water well, on the street. Well, that's it's Lee, a hustle. Lee, more yeah, it's a hustle. Yeah, Lee's, okay, Lee's right. the one that falls into the category mm-hmm. of a hustle because, and and this is. And it was funny because you were asking earlier about how we came uh, to meet some of these people. And with Lee, I wasn't even looking 
for for that and i just saw it and i was like wait this is this is it you know this is uh this would be a great example and lee's kind of on the other end of that spectrum where it's you know, water's water you know and it's brand name water for that matter uh and you know and i even asked him about like do you know anybody that takes the time to pick up empty bottles and fill them with tap water and he was like that would just be so time consuming he, and he even said, like, you know, more power to him if you actually take all the time to fill it with tap water. But yeah. he was just explaining it's just so much easier just to go to a wholesale, you know, Costco or something like that, you know, buy a 30-pack for $5, and now I'm going to make $30 off of this 30-pack. Mm-hmm. You know, so for him, it was just it was just pure economics. And and to the customer, it's bottled water on a hot day that's been cooled off or frozen for that matter. It's, it's a win-win for both in that regard. I loved reading the glossary in your book because there were so many terms that I was just so, so unfamiliar with. Like, I thought I knew what a babysitter was, but apparently <laughs> I didn't know what a babysitter was. What's a babysitter? Well, um, a babysitter is usually, uh, and there, there are different definitions, but it's basically someone who will sit in an, an apartment with a kilo or more of drugs until uh, they're passed on until someone picks 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 the picks the drugs up and that sort of thing but it's usually someone who will hold a large amount of sometimes it's money but usually it's drugs for a courier or someone to deliver the package terry thank you so much thank you thank you george trevor thank you thank you for having us Trevor B. Milton is an assistant professor in social sciences at Queensboro Community College. And Terry Williams is a professor of sociology at the New School for Social Research. Their book, The Con Men, Hustling in New York City, is published by Columbia University Press. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Borecki. My thanks to producer Claire Drake. It's WFUV and WFUV HD New York. Listener supported public media from Fordham, the Jesuit University of New York. Music discovery starts here.